With the Capital One Saver Card, you earn 4% cash back on dining and entertainment. That's 4% cash back on milkshakes with extra whipped cream. And 4% to get extra loud at the show. The Capital One Saver Card. Earn 4% on dining and 4% on entertainment. What's in your wallet? Hey guys, it's Taylor. You can buy my new album Lover at taylorswift.com. Terms apply. Capital One Bank USANA. All right, you're back in the DFSR. It's a NASCAR podcast. It's Friday. It's February 15th. I'm Doug Norrie. That is Chris Durrell. Oh, baby. We, it doesn't take long for me to be start itching about with no basketball going on here. This is going to go up on our basketball feed, but it was, it's been less than 24 hours with, without any basketball going on. So you know that I'm just excited to talk about any kind of sport that might be happening. I was like putting in lineups for the, the Rising Stars game tonight because I'm just itching. So I'm good. I'm, this is always the best time for me to start learning about other sports. We're going to break down... Well, I, I said we. Chris is going to break down the Daytona 500. I'm going to come into this podcast, if you've listened to these kind of special podcasts in the past, as a, a total and utter newbie when it comes to NASCAR. Uh, point of honesty, buddy. The last time, you know when the last time I watched a NASCAR race was? Was it last year's Daytona 500? 100% because you were there, buddy. That was why I watched it. <laughs> hoping, hoping, to catch, hoping to catch a glimpse of uh, of you on Daytona. How does it, you were there last We'll get into the race in a second and everything. But you were there last year. Are you feeling withdrawal from... Because I know James... I'll say this. James, they are their partner for DFSR if you're just coming into this podcast. But he... he we were watching you watch Daytona last year, you know, through all the stuff like on, online and the Facebook and Twitter and everything that you were posting. And James said, if, if in the end, starting this business was worth it just for Chris to have gone to Daytona. He's like, if we never get another anything else out of this, he was, and he said it sincerely. Like he was like, he's like, if we never get any, another dime out of this. It will have all been worth it because Chris is at Daytona and he's got like a DFSR thing on it. Anyway, are you feeling withdrawal from not going to the race this year? Oh, hundred percent. It is like brutally cold. Uh, Fahrenheit wise, it's like minus 40 to minus 50 the last three or four days here. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I wish I was in Daytona at 80 degree weather on Sunday, that's for sure. <laughs> anyway, covering it from home this year, we'll break down the race. Uh, we'll talk about, you know, and I, I keep saying we, but Chris is going to be informing most of this. I'm going to be coming at this from a just a learning about the race, how I, as a, as a never really watched NASCAR kind of guy, how I can maybe enjoy the race on Sunday. You know, if I'm waiting for the NBA All-Star game or not, if there are other things that I can be looking for as um, as a guy who maybe just wants to enjoy it, wants to maybe have a DraftKings or FanDuel lineup or two, have a better two in on the race. What are the, some of the things I can watch from a NASCAR perspective? But walk me through Daytona. Now, this is the first race of the year um, that I do know. So the walk me through what makes maybe Daytona special. Is it a walk me through like we can talk about the track. We can talk. Let's start there. Let's talk about the track. Break down the track for us a little bit and then we can go through maybe some of the historical results as well. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, it's the first race of the year. And um, I get a lot of questions like, why does NASCAR have their biggest race of the year as their first race of the year? And it's kind of where NASCAR started, like back in the day. where all the owners and stuff were, they, they were all down in Florida. So Daytona, they started out on the beach um, and then they kind of made they came into the Daytona International Speedway. Um, so that's kind of why they have their, this big, huge race at the start of the year. And it is like no other race for the rest, the other 35 races for the rest of the season. Um, it started out with the clash last Sunday and that was an exhibition race that had nothing to do with points or setting anything. That was just an exhibition race for anyone that's won the pole or won the Daytona 500 in the past. So they have that. And I think the reason, you know, that's always been people. That's one of the big questions this week is do we really need that clash? And 
NASCAR loves it because it gets people down to Daytona. It gets people enjoying um, the whole, everything that NASCAR has for two full weeks. They call it speed weeks. So I don't think it's ever going to go away. It's, it's a really a meaningless race. Um, and it's, you know, it's usually better for the teams that have a lot of money because they're going to be wrecking cars. The smaller teams are normally going to take that exhibition race like at a grain of salt and kind of hang out by the back and not wreck their cars and stuff. Sure. And then after that, they do a, a qualifying run. Um, all the cars are in the field. They, they all run their qualifying, two rounds of qualifying. But after that qualifying is over, they only sets the number one and number two spots in the field. So William Byron got first in that, so he's going to start in the pole. And then we got Alex Bowman, his teammate, both in Chevys, Henrik Motorsport Chevys, going to be starting one, two. And then we go and we have some days off from uh, Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday is media day. I was there last year interviewing drivers and stuff. And then Thursday Thursday night was the duel, so that was last night. And that sets the rest of the field. So they have a dual one with 20 drivers and a dual two with 20 drivers. And that sets the inside and outside field for the for the race. So we now know the starting lineups for the race. Um, so we can really start looking at some strategy. So I guess, yeah, first of all, we'll look at the Daytona International Speedway. It's a two-and-a-half-mile super speedway, um, second-longest track out there besides Talladega, and they're using traditional... Um, so I guess, first of all, they're changing some rules this year where they're going to have... They're trying to reduce the horsepower um, on a lot of the one-and-a-half-mile tracks, and they're also going to be doing it on some of the you know talladega daytona anything over a mile and a half and they're going to be using a tapered spacer this this season and the difference is historically they've used restrictor plates for talladega and daytona because the speeds are insane like i mean without these restrictor plates which all they're doing is restricting the air to the engine and that uh, just means that, that just is, like helps is that and that's just an effort to slow the cars down uh, is that like exactly it, it's a safety thing yeah right. definitely to slow the cars down slow the horsepower if they didn't have that you know they'd be 220 230 miles an hour so mm-hmm. the this is the very last race where they're using those um, traditional restrictor plates after this week every single race over a mile and a half including daytona and talladega will use a tapered spacer and that just gives nascar more control to increase or decrease the size of the holes in that tapered spacer um, depending on the kind of track so they they can really test it in some of these races i think they might even make adjustments for race one say las vegas and they decide okay maybe there's too much horsepower they'll reduce it for the next las vegas race all within a season so it gives them a lot of play there as well but so but, yeah but, this but, for is, the, but for the restrictor plate for this year we you can use i mean just does, does knowing that they're using the restrictor plate going into this race help you formulate any ideas about i mean it's that i mean again i'm, I'm talking this from like a newbie strategy point is there do some drivers drive better with the restrictor plates is it like more of a strategy piece of it or is it just like a level playing field kind of thing where they're just trying to get all cars down to the same level like is there can are there drivers that can take advantage of this last time having this or is it just or is it just a field leveler like i'm just trying to understand like what that means for this race going into it yeah, it's like the rest of the year is going to be difficult from a projection standpoint just because course I mean track history isn't going to be as relevant because it's a whole brand new package and it's every everyone's going to race it. You're still going to have your best drivers that are going to finish ahead of the, you know, the the worst drivers, but I think this race it definitely helps to kick off the season especially from a projection standpoint because we do have all that relevant data um, from years past that we can actually go ahead and look at who's a good restrictor plate driver, who isn't, who struggles um versus you know going into next week at atlanta with the new package coming in we know how atlanta raced in the past but this 
this is now completely different because they're going to be less horsepower. The cars are going to be closer together. You're not going to see those cars on mile and a half tracks that get out front and maybe lead 180 laps. Um, we found it hard. There's, there was a test at Las Vegas a few weeks ago, and the cars just that got out to the lead weren't getting out to the three, four second leads. They were staying close to the pack. So that's going to make it difficult down the road. But for this week, yes, it's uh, definitely a help having the traditional package on there because we do have the data that we can go off of. All right, well, that's what I need to know about the track here, like how it runs. Um, I think you mentioned you mentioned the distance of, I think you said mile and a half. Are there two and a half. Or two and a half, excuse me. Are there drivers who do better under these kind of scenarios? Like, are there drivers that will thrive on a, a longer or shorter track? Is that something you look at going to this week? Or is it like, you know, the shape of the track matter for you at all? Um, how, how do those things play into Daytona? Not so much the shape this week, and uh, we'll get into that as the season goes on, different shapes of track, flat tracks, steep tracks, stuff like that. But um, for this, the first thing I look at is, number one, Daytona history. How's the driver done? Not just at Daytona, because there's a, there's a race here in July as well. Um, so we're looking at not only Daytona results, but Daytona 500 results, because it's uh, it's a mi- or 100 miles longer on that race. You know, it's, it's a big spectacle versus July. It's a little bit different, just a regular race. And then I also start breaking down track type history, which looks at not only Daytona, but Talladega as well. Those are your two restrictor plate tracks. Um, so one driver that stands out right away, he's got two wins here, is Ricky Stenhouse Jr. Normally a guy that's going to be down in that $7,000, $6,000 range on DraftKings and FanDuel because he's not in the greatest equipment and he's not the great i wouldn't say he's the top 10 driver by any means but you come to the track like this he's really good on restrictor plate tracks in his last eight um races on restrictor plate tracks talladega and daytona he's got two wins and four top fives in those eight races so he you know that's one driver that really stands out as someone that gets an advantage coming to a track like this and i mean there's 40 drivers in the field I'm not going to say all of them have a chance to win this week, but you're probably somewhere in that 30, 32 of the drivers have a really good shot at winning this week. So these tracks definitely help bring the field closer together. It's not just your favorites that are going to go out there and be uh, win these kind of races. Yeah, that's really interesting because um, in terms of just maybe skewing odds or trying to figure out, you know, I, I'm sure that in other races you're going to get those big names that are always going to be near the top of just the odds list just because like you said their their equipment's better their cars are better their teams are better um it seems like it, i mean if i'm if i'm hearing you correctly it does seem like daytona whether through the rules or just the the track or the field or whatever it is this does seem to be like, i guess what you're saying is any it's anyone's guess not anyone's guess but anyone anyone can take this in a way that other races maybe don't really do that is that does that add to the level of maybe excitement around this race also like that that it's uh maybe the field is a little more open than some of these other races yeah definitely uh the excitement because you know a lot of these teams and back in the day there used to be you know sometimes 46 47 teams that would show up at daytona knowing that only 40 at that time 43 cars were getting in the field so a lot of these guys were going home but a lot of these small teams are putting together cars just for this race they're only racing maybe one two races during the whole entire season and this is it for them so they're investing that money if they don't make the race they're out i mean if you make the race some of these smaller teams can get upwards of like 120 150 thousand dollars just for uh, making it into the race so the guys that don't make it into the race you know they they spent a lot of money getting down there and stuff and they're going home with nothing so this is definitely one of the bigger races and like you said it brings more drivers into the mix of who's going to win the race so it's not just your you know top four top five teams that are excited to go to this track because they usually dominate there this is anyone's ball game like you said especially at daytona 500 so it's that's kind of adds to the excitement of the race to start the year 
All right, so we covered some of the track stuff. We covered the restrictor plate. Let's talk about some individual drivers here. I mean, you mentioned Stenhouse, uh, and, but you, you wrote up a bunch of other guys here for the article that you put out. Um, although, I mean, you choose. Do you want to talk any more track history here? Because uh, I know you had some of those guys that you broke down, and you also have – we could take this any way you want here. But um, we could talk track history and whether how much you're going to weight that in to your projections this week, or do you want to just get right to DFS targets? It's kind of – it's your show to run here. I've got track history weighted pretty good right now in my overall mall just because we didn't have a lot to go off of. Practices, I don't really look at a whole bunch because I guess we don't really know what everyone's goal is when they're out there practicing. Some guys in the early practices are just trying to get a feel for the track, um, track conditions, track temps, a couple lap times come in, change some stuff on the car. Other guys are out there drafting with their teammates. um, So some of those speeds are going to be skewed. So I'm not really putting a lot of weight on practices. I do want to see guys that are maybe consistent throughout the week or maybe start out slow and consistently get better. Um, so I'm, track history is up there in my model right now. Same with the track type. And between those two, it's about 70% weight right now. But what I'm really looking at now that qualifying's done, um, because the, the guys that you read about in my article there that you can see in my article at dfsr.com right now, that is pre-qualifying. So those are just pretty much guys that stood out in my, in my research for track history, track type, that sort of stuff. Um, now we know where everyone's qualifying. And one of the biggest strategy standpoints from a plate track is, um, perspective is place differential. You're not going to see guys lead, you know, 100 plus laps. It has happened twice in the last six races. A driver has led 100 or 90 or more, sorry, three times 90 or more laps have been led by one driver. Twice it's been the winner, and twice that driver's come from the top five. So that's more of a contrarian approach, but for the most part, we're looking at place differential because um, I was just talking to you off air here. I seen that there, uh, Brad Kozlowski starting 35th this week. He struggled in his dual race, so he's starting near the back. So if he was to win, he's going to get 34 bonus points on DraftKings, that is. A um, little bit different scoring for FanDuel. So that's kind of why we're looking at place differential. And I seen, I was mentioning to you that we did, I did see a prop, how many laps it would take Brad Kozlowski to get into the top five. And yeah, I thought that was like just a nine and a half laps. <laughs> that's an amazing prop, I think, because that, that really speaks to how open the playing the open the field is right like it's like if how could you possibly have that i don't even know anything about nascar really and i'm and i and that struck me as unbelievable that you could start last and be within and there's even the the idea that you could be within among the leaders i mean what is that like 10 percent of the way in? like how many laps are there uh, excuse me there's 500 laps so like there's um oh wait is it 500 miles or 500 laps i'm really showing my my miles okay so right so um so i'm doing a quick math here so that's be 20 miles so right so that you could be within Within five percent of the race, you would be within the top ten of the, uh, of the <laughs> yeah. overall leader. So that struck me as just kind of unbelievable. But does that really? But does that single prop? And I and you need not have one prop like give the the idea of the whole gestalt of the entire race. But does that one prop really speak to how anyone can just win? Like if a good driver can be within striking distance that early, then it really kind of is just anyone's game. Or does it speak the other way that like? The best drivers are going to come to the top at the beginning. Like, how, like, how do you evaluate a prop like that? Because I found that kind of amazing when I when you told me. That tells me it pretty much showed me that place differential is going to be huge. Like, right. obviously, these guys are going to get in the draft. Brad's going to find someone back there in that thirtieth to thirty sixth place, and he's going to draft with them. It may not be a Ford to start things off, but he is going to find his teammates or Ford manufacturer um, teammates that are going to be out there that he's going to draft with. So, I think that prop just pretty much 
he's going to be chalk. Like even at the most expensive driver on both sides, he's going to be really chalky this week because he, he's first of all he's really good plate racer. Two, he's got elite place differential upside, and the prices aren't that you know insane this week. It's pretty pretty much more of a flat structure, I guess you could say. So you can kind of build lineups any way you want um, right. this week. But uh, yeah, definitely looking at him. Another one in that top tier is Kyle Busch. Um, he, Jimmy Johnson got into him, so he wrecked in his duel. So he started in 31st. Both those guys actually haven't been great at Daytona lately, like outside the top 20 in like four or five straight races for each of them. But they've got elite place differential, um, so I'm not really going to just say, okay, they're not good at Daytona, um, so I'm just going to throw them out the window. So they are ranked down on my model a bit right now. That's because I got so much um on the track history side of things but with that kind of place differential you you have to use those guys like if i'm building a six car lineup i'm probably going with at least four drivers that are starting three probably that are starting outside the top 20 top 25 and probably four that are starting outside the top 15 i won't i'll try not to and unless i'm trying to be really contrarian and get two guys starting inside the top 10 in the same lineup Really interesting, right? And so, and, and if you scroll down, because as you were saying that, I was just thinking about if you scroll down through some of these DraftKings prices, uh, you these guys just kind of it, by that model, knowing that these are good drivers that have to make up a ton of ground. Like you said, Kozlowski starts thirty fifth, thirty fifth. He's ten thousand six hundred, and then you get Kyle Busch at ninety six hundred. But the, all the other groups around these guys, Logano starts fourth, Harvick starts third. I mean, this is kind of what you're talking about. Boyer starts sixth. Yeah, uh, St- Stenhart's uh, Stenhouse starts fifth. If you're looking at guys in the same just in the scene, like even if they all, even if all things were equal, Bush and Kozlowski from a scoring dis, uh, standpoint are just have so much more upside. Am I am I taking that correctly? Like they like they're all good drivers, and these other guys simply can't score points that that Bush and Kozlowski can score. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Exactly. One hundred percent. Right. So I'm summing that. Guys, want to make sure. Like then you get like into the middle tier. Maybe you get like a, a Suarez or an Eric Jones. Like if you just take. If you just take guys among the, let's say DraftKings, tell me if I'm wrong about this or if I'm right about this. Um, let me try to sum up my. Okay, so assume that DraftKings essentially prices their guys because they do it all pre-qualifying, so they pr- price them all around the same skill level, right? Like that, yeah. that's that's yeah. usually just what you do for DFS sports in general. Like you know, if you're a top ten golfer each week, you're just gonna be with the top ten golfers like over the course of the season, price wise. So if you just take these price tiers. And then just choose the guys that are starting further back. Do you think, like, as a as, as a NASCAR newbie, like that, even that would just be like a base level strategy, or am I or am I dumbing it down too much? Like, I'm, I know there's other not at all in here. Like, no. no, just knowing that you can score a few more points. Like, if you take Alex Bowman starting second and Kyle Larson starting twenty sixth, and they're two hundred dollars difference for upside, you just almost have to take Larson because he can make up all of those place differential points. I, I think it, it, is is that correct? If I were to just use that strategy. Yeah, no, you're you're 100 right there because um, you you want to compare those two starting second and starting 26 within 200 dollars of each other. Kyle Larson has way way more upside with his DraftKings scoring points just because of that 24 different places start uh, looking at the starting position for sure 100. percent All right, walk me through and that. Couple, I mean, that's another that's another thing you can go a contrarian approach as well because you know um, looking at 
not so much because Lowski and Logano. Let's use the example you just used, Alex Bowman. He's been good on the plate tracks, but he's starting second, so he's only got one place differential upside and a whole bunch of negative upside. So he's more of a GPP play, whereas above him, Eric Jones, below him, Kyle Larson starting 26th and 28th. Those guys are more, I mean, I don't play a lot of cash games when it comes to restrictor plates because there's going to be probably two, three, four crashes in this race. Mm -hmm. There's too much variance for cash games, but on a normal week, Definitely would take Jones and Larson for cash, Bowman for GPP. And let me ask you, actually, because uh, I had made a note, you just reminded me of a note that I made earlier about your article. With the restrictor plate, restrictor plates causes more crashes. Like you had mentioned that in your article, is it that that is a thing? Like having the restrictor plate on cars increases the likelihood of a crash. Am I? Is that was it, you could just kind of mention that, and I, I believe you mentioned it yep. in your article as well. Why? Why is that the case? Because it brings all the cars together. Because gotcha. when you have these restrictor plates. They're, they're drafting. So you're going to get, um, like what we've seen so far in the two dual races and the clashes, um, you know, they start one, two cars side by side. So two lines side by side when they restart. By the time the third lap's coming in, they're almost in one full giant single file line uh, <laughs> on the okay. top row. So um, for, you know, to make the pass, and you've seen a lot of guys do this over the, over the clash as well as the duel, you see one car will jump out in line under the bottom row and try and pass. Well, he can't because he doesn't have the momentum. You almost need five or six cars to go with him to create another draft on the bottom to push those guys in the top and come close to making the pass. So having the draft with these restrictor plates brings the whole field, like not sometimes not the whole field, but 20 to 30 cars sometimes within very, very tight spaces within inches and that's where all the crashes come from because one tiny little mistake and you're taking out 10 15 cars sometimes awesome okay really great stuff i didn't even this is a stuff that i obviously would never even thought about give me a couple other drivers that you are looking at this week based on qualifying based on what you've seen from them in the past um are there other drivers that you're targeting either from i know you said you don't do too much cash when it comes to this race and that makes total sense based on that explanation but other drivers that you're looking either from a betting angle on or uh just that you think are values on fan DraftKings. Yeah, I talked about some betting angles um, in my article at the bottom, and two guys that really stood out to me this week at 17 to 1 odds, both of them, is Kurt Busch and Jimmy Johnson. Um, Kurt's 8,700 on DraftKings, Jimmy's 8,500. Jimmy's only 8,200 on FanDuel, so I definitely like him on FanDuel more than Kurt Busch, but I do like both of them. Um, they both won Daytona 500s before. Jimmy's won three, three times, two Daytona 500s, three times at Daytona the track. So I just think that's too deep of odds for guys that have that kind of experience of winning um, races like this, big races like this. They're, they're both veteran drivers out there, so I just think that's too cheap for them. Even for um, DFS, Jimmy's starting 17th, Kurt Busch is starting 12th. That's not elite place differential, but it's also outside the top 10, so it's kind of in that middle ground. So I'll definitely be looking at both of those um, in the $8,000 range, dipping down a little bit more three value plays and they're actually number one two three in my model this week are Bubba Wallace he finished second here last year is very close to winning um so he it's kind of skewed a little bit because he's got a smaller sample size but he started in 13th and then the other two guys that I probably like a little bit more than Bubba here are Paul Menard and Ryan Newman Menard looked really good at the clash he led 51 laps before Jimmy took him out um he had a bad finish there he did good in his duel I believe he was third in his duel and he's starting seventh so I think a lot of people will be going towards Bubba because he started in 13th or Ryan Newman was the other one I was going to talk about here he started in 19th so I think Paul Menard out of those three is maybe a little bit more of a GPP play he's been good at the the plate tracks um, looking at his history here, 
He finished 28th in the summer last year, but before that he finished 6th, 3rd, and 5th at Daytona. So the 5th and 6th come at the Daytona 500. So he's got great history here. It's just that he's starting 7th. So he's not going to pick up a lot of place differential. But, I mean, mid-7K price, if you're trying to fit in like a Kozlowski-Logano stack or two of the top Fords there, as you can see, five of the top-priced guys in the field are Fords. So, I mean, Fords are really have been really, really good drafting together and good at the restrictor plate tracks. So I think Bernard kind of fits into that as well. Um, and then Ryan Newman, like I just talked about, starting 19th. He comes back with uh, finished 8th or better, 3 straight at Daytona. So those guys are all in the low to mid-7K range on both sites. And I will have probably a lot of exposure to them. Probably in the order of Menard, Newman, Bubba. Yeah, I love that idea. I love this, the, you know, this from a... a I just put it in a DraftKings lineup um, just um, based on just some of the guys that you mentioned here. Uh, it's, it's got Kozlowski, it's got Bush, it's got Jimmy Johnson... It's got Newman. It's got uh, Boucher. I don't know if you had mentioned him, but I met, you know, yep. mentioned him in your article. And I threw Kyle Larson in there just as a, I don't know, he was starting 26, and I just kind of didn't know. I mean, what are your thoughts? I mean, give me quick thoughts on Larson. I know you didn't. Uh, I just kind of threw him in here as a random guy. I was just kind of going off some of the guys, that, other, the other guys you had mentioned. Um, does that strike you as yeah. a guy that, that you know, any, like that you feel, have a feeling one way or the other about? Or, I mean, does it make sense to for a guy like him? I just, I'm, I'm mostly asking as a guy that like threw a lineup together based on the guys you just mentioned. Larson hasn't been great at Daytona. Um, he hasn't had he had back-to-back top tens in 2016, 12th, 29th, 19th, and 29th. His last four doesn't really concern me that much. Like I, same with Kyle Busch, he sucked his last four, like I told you. But he finished second and third in 2016. So I want to at least see if guys haven't been good here lately sure. that they have had some sec- success here in the past. So Kyle Larson fits that bill. He started in 26. I think you said it perfectly. If you're a noob coming into this, yeah. And, and you just want like some, something simple without getting into deep strategy. Um, find those guys starting outside the top 20 and get as many of them as you can into your lineups. And you're off to a good start right there. Um, and then the other thing that I, we didn't mention yet was stacking. I like stacking at these restrictor plate tracks because they're going to be drafting with teammates. Yep. Um, so you look at, for instance, Logano and Kozlowski and Blaney. They're all on Team Penske. And then you can also throw in um, the number the number 21 there as well, Paul Menard. It's a satellite team for Team Penske. So, I, you know, you could put all four of those guys in your lineup. Or get the Chevys in with uh, Jimmy, you know, go Jimmy Johnson. And I don't really like going Bowman or Byron because they're starting one, two. But you get the point of doing some stacks. One of my favorite stacks, and you just mentioned it, is getting Kurt Busch with Kyle Larson. Kurt Busch is brand new under that team this year, Chip Ganassi. He's driving the number one car. He, uh, like I said, he's won a Daytona 500 before. I think he's going to be a huge help to Kyle Larson on some of these tracks where Kyle Larson maybe hasn't been great in the past or throughout his young career. I think this is maybe his fifth or sixth year in Cup Series. So stacking them together I think makes a lot of sense. I think they can draft together. They are starting quite a bit apart, but like I said, uh, 14 places they could find each other and be drafting together within you know three four laps so definitely like the stacking angle um, so if I am going to be running Larson I'm probably going to have Kurt Busch with him as well or at least one or two other Chevys uh, great stuff man what else do we have coming from you this weekend do you have other updates coming um, based on some of this qualifying stuff are you doing anything else leading into the weekend that we should be aware of going into the into the yeah, I can't even talk into the Daytona 500. <laughs> yeah, there's there's another practice I need to update now, and then there I believe there's two more practices left. Um, so I'll have that data. 
put into the cheat sheet as well. I'll have my final model done up, and then I've also added a tab on my cheat sheet called Targets, and that's pretty much going to show all my favorite targets. And then if you've got questions, jump into the DFSR chat room. Um, there's no basketball, so it's going to be heavy hockey and uh, NASCAR PGA talk here for the next few days until basketball's back. So jump in. I'm going to be in there pretty much all day if you've got questions. And other than that, let's uh, build some lineups and crush it on Sunday. Yeah, I noticed you were typing stuff into the chat as I was talking, which makes me feel like you weren't listening to anything I was saying. But I t- <laughs> <laughs> I'm a great multitasker. DF, DFSR.com slash deals is going to get you started on the stuff that Chris was just talking about. That's going to include members-only chat where we have a bunch of our basketball DGens in there trying to figure out hockey and now NASCAR going forward as they itch the, scratch the itch of not having basketball around. DFSR.com slash deals gets you uh, the premium chat. It's also going to get you optimal lineups for FanDuel and DraftKings NBA when it's back, but NHL during this NBA All-Star break. So you go check that out. Chris is in there all the time. We're going to be in there answering questions about these races, about NHL, um, and then obviously when basketball is back, we're there covering it also dfsr.com slash deals buddy enjoy the big race i think i'm gonna watch it just because uh i'm gonna follow along with some of these lineups that i just made while we were talking on the podcast enjoy your race this sunday yeah cheers everyone good luck hi i'm jay farner ceo of quicken loans 30 percent of americans who are planning home improvements of five thousand dollars or more will pay for those renovations with a high interest credit card that may not be a great idea. A better idea may be to take cash out of your home with a Quicken Loans 30-year fixed rate mortgage. The rate today on our 30-year fixed rate mortgage is 3.99%, APR 4.08%. Call us today at 800-QUICKEN or go to rocketmortgage.com. Rate subject to change. Pay 1.25% fee to receive this discounted rate. Call for cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. License in all 50 states. NMLS number 3030. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations.